Gary, pump staff here. Uh, let me ask you a question. Just think about this while we're taking the offering. What was your favorite decade? What was your decade? Okay, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000. Okay, while we're taking that offering, turn to someone and answer that question. But plates are being passed while we're doing this. Okay, what was your decade and why? Go. All right, all right. Well, unashamedly, I'm a, I'm a toss-up between the 80s and the 90s, but I would lean towards the 90s for me, and I'll tell you why. I got married in the 90s. I had my first daughter in the 90s. I remember boom boxes in the 90s. I remember listening to the radio and waiting for that right song to come on the radio so I could hit record for my mixtape in the 90s. Beanie Babies with little girls, Beanie Babies in the 90s. Don't give me that scowl. And then this is really why the 90s was cool. In West Philadelphia, born and raised. Come on. There we go. Thank you, Lily. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the 90s, yes. Days of VCR. I mean, come on, you can't beat the 90s, right? It was awesome. Plus, one of my favorite all-time movies came out in the 90s at the tail end, 1999, called The Matrix. Uh, and The Matrix opens with a man who had to make a choice. Remember The Matrix? Am I? You guys know him. It's iconic, right? He had to choose between the physical visible realm that he knew and an invisible realm that he didn't know. The choice came about when he understood that this invisible realm was actually controlling the visible realm that he lived in and was so accustomed to. That invisible realm was called the matrix. And it challenged uh, Thomas Anderson, or Neo, as it became known, to make a decision. Because now that he was made aware of the invisible realm, was he going to live in light of it or go back to his life of denial and ignorance as if there was no invisible realm. And it came out in just four words. Red pill, blue pill. Watch this. Do you want to know what it is? The matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. <sighs> Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And for the rest of the time, I will talk like Morpheus. <laughs> Red pill, blue pill. It's amazing to me, uh, and I can almost put a scripture passage to every line out of Morpheus's mouth. The reality is, and this is the synopsis of what you're going to hear for the next 25 minutes, there are two worlds. A physical world that we live in, and then there's the world behind the world. The spiritual world. The meta-narrative taught throughout the Bible is simply this. Everything visible and physical, everything visible and physical is controlled by something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, if you want to change the realm that you know, we must draw from the invisible spiritual realm that we cannot see. Because everything, physical and visible, is controlled by something invisible and spiritual. Red pill, blue pill. Which do you want? My goal is that we consume the red pill today and pull back the curtain into that spiritual realm. And not do it with fear, but that we would do it with the authority that God's given us in Christ. We are opposed, men and women, and our opposition is not a spiritual force. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not a physical force. It's, it's a spiritual force. We're going to look at that today. If you have your Bibles or if you have your smartphone, open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And you can see also we're moving our notes online to the YouVersion. You can go to the YouVersion app and find uh, all your sermon notes on here in YouVersion. And no playing Angry Birds or Pokemon Go. Come on, I know what's going on, okay? Uh, Bible, right? Let's pull back the curtain and look in that spiritual realm, okay? Your notes today, like I said to you two weeks ago, you have four pages. We'll get through two pages today. I hope you never lose these notes. I hope you put them with the notes that we gave you two weeks ago uh, as well about the Word of God, that these would always be a resource you come back to time and time again, because this is your battle plan. This shows you how to fight, who we fight, and what we are fighting against, okay? Let's look at that first point, who we fight, who we fight. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, a supernatural, evil, angelic beings. That's who we fight. Look what Paul said in verse 12. For our struggle, keyword, I would circle it in your Bible, it means this. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in a Middle Eastern Greek language that's no longer living and spoken. The Greek spoken is different than what it was written. But it was a war term that uh, was a term for hand-to-hand combat. Uh, There was a term for a distant combat with arrows, and Paul alludes to that later in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the armor of God. But there was a term for an intimate, face-on-face, breath-on-breath, sweat-against-sweat, two men in battle, twirling on the ground, looking to put a dagger into each other. That's the word we have here, struggle. It gives us a clue to who we're fighting. Someone very close, very upfront who knows you, we'll see that in a minute, uniquely. He knows your weaknesses, and they want to take you down. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, this passage is not teaching that we wrestle at all. We don't wrestle at all against flesh and blood. I read your prayer cards. You should read my prayer journal. You would see we do wrestle against flesh and blood. Read Paul's life, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Paul lists a, a resume of his struggles. Oh my gosh, he talks about being shipwrecked, sleepless, beaten. Paul wouldn't say we don't wrestle at all against anything human or against disease or against emotion or against chemical imbalance or against fear. What Paul's saying is this. Those are very real. But Paul's saying, yes, those are formidable, but we don't wrestle only against flesh and blood. Very important. In this church, we've had a long history of combining the flesh and blood with the spiritual. That's why we've had uh, a counseling center for so long. And we, we refer often. We, Brian's one of the best counselors I know. And, and we refer to counselors. It's why we invite people at times to medicate when they need to. But that's not where we stop. We encourage those tools and we go after the spiritual elements that might be dragging people down. We think they work hand in hand. So what we're saying is this, behind the flesh and blood is something that's not flesh and blood. Behind the diagnosis is something that the enemy will use this insidious, invisible enemy, to bring you down. That's what we're saying. The enemy didn't cause the diagnosis. We're not saying that. We're saying he'll manipulate and use it. Do you understand? Am I being really clear? Really important. Uh, in my chair, two weeks ago we talked about our chair, right, uh, where you get a 1% of your day with God. In my chair this morning, I'm reading through a um, devotional called Becoming a Battle-Ready Father. It's a great one. And here's what I read this very morning that brought this in. It's amazing, the convergence. It says, when your wife is unloving, do not become angry with her and think, here we go again. Or do you realize, uh, I'm sorry, when your wife is unloving, do you become angry with her and say, here we go again? Or do you realize the enemy is the one who would seek to destroy your marriage? And this is the line that got me. Are you an instant critic or an immediate intercessor? It's really good, isn't it? See, Instant critics say, oh, my battle is flesh and blood. Immediate intercessor are saying, yes, this is important. Yes, we've got to work through conflict. But my battle is not against my wife. It's not against my prodigal kid. It's not against my Jesus-loving kid. It's not against my roommate. It's not against my boss. My battle is against an insidious, invisible enemy that wants to take me down. Really important. See, I guess what I'm saying, men and women, the Bible offers an explanation for the presence of evil, our culture, especially here in the West, offers an explanation too. The cultural explanation is, oh, evil is societal. It's psychological. It's physiological. It's a pathological issue. The Bible offers an alternative in saying, yes, those may come to play, but the evil is actually rooted in the free will of two classes of people, humans and evil angelic beings. That's the Bible's explanation for evil. The free will of humans and the free will of evil angelic beings, and they combine to wreak havoc on the earth. We've talked and we see enough. Just read your home pages to see human evil. What are you talking about, evil angelic beings? Well, look in Ephesians 6, 12. Look what it says. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Far from the character, uh, cultural caricature of demons, the Bible assumes, assumes the presence of a very personal, tremendously complex, intelligent forces of evil. 
it's all over. One of the greatest minds who's ever lived, I really believe that, man taught at Oxford, amazing man, C.S. Lewis. Look on the bottom of page one, his notes and his coming across in the reading of the Bible and going, I just can't even believe the assumption the Bible makes of demons, of Satan, of an enemy. Paul's listing those ranks right there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, to give us a sense of the enormity of what's before us and the opposition we face. Everyone look right here. Red pill, blue pill. Which do you want to take? Is this just a happy sermon where you just go on and live your way and, and just deny the force of evil? Or is this something where you go, okay, gosh, man, what do I do with this? See, I, I just need to put this out there. The conviction of this church for over 60 years is that Christianity is not just a religion about attending church and potlucks and becoming nice and giving to how we love, as good as those are. Something immensely insidious and invisible and dangerous is unfolding all around us in our culture. Seeking to kill, destroy, and steal. John chapter 10, verse 10. We believe that with all our heart. And we stand against that as a church. And with love and humility, just like our Lord Jesus, we all want to be agents of hope and light. That's why around here we say when we come to the culture, we don't point a finger. We light a candle. And we go in and be the light where there's darkness. Now, when you look at that, who we fight, you read Ephesians 6, 12, and how behind evil people are as an army of evil beings, angelic beings, Perhaps this accounts for the horrors that we know of in our American lifetime. Perhaps this accounts for like the transatlantic slave trade where 12.5 million people were ripped away from their families in Africa and brought against their will, treated like objects in the West. Perhaps this accounts for the Holocaust. Maybe it was more than just Hitler who wooed people with his personality. Maybe six million people were killed because behind that there really is a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Perhaps that accounts for Rwanda and how a million Rwandans macheted their neighbors, their neighbors, over a racial issue and a tribal issue. Perhaps that accounts for why even today as I speak, 27 million, over double the amount that were taken from Africa, 27 million people are held in slavery against their will. Perhaps that's why we have sermons like last week on vulnerable children. We're now in our day and age, as, as sophisticated as we are, 1 in 14 children in the world are orphaned. Maybe that's why it's so hard for you to get to your chair every morning and why two weeks ago you made a vow one percent of my day i'm going to give it to god and as you look back at the last 14 days you realize wow it's harder than i thought maybe it's more than just a laziness issue maybe there's something insidious behind all that that really is keeping you from what's closest to the heart of god see we don't escape this battle simply because we choose not to believe exists. You take the blue pill, you deny it exists, you're still not out of the battle. And we don't escape the battle because we refuse to fight. We're opposed, whether we believe it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we live like it or not. You, will, you are opposed. We are opposed. Our enemies are formidable 
but they're not defeatable. Because here's a verse. You ready? I'm going to give you a few verses that aren't in. Well, this one's in your outline. 1 John 4, 4, the first verse in your outline. Greater is he that's in you than the one that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than the one that's in the world. Yes, we are opposed. Yes, our enemy is formidable. Yes, we should respect that. No, we should not live in fear. No. Because in Christ, we've been taken from his realm and put under the realm of a risen ruler. Now let's look more. Page two, what do we fight? What do we fight? This is really important, gang. How are we doing? It suddenly got real serious in here. Take a deep breath, everybody. I promise we'll end well. It's good. I think there's times we need to be sober. Um, and this is very sobering. I mean, I think uh, for so many of us, myself included, we have been discipled by media around this. And we think if heads aren't spinning and people aren't puking and things aren't levitating, it can't be demonic. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Uh, we are opposed more often than not. And my fear is that, A, you leave here and overemphasize the enemy, where you stub your toe and you go, ah, oh, that's Satan. Like, true story. On Friday, we were walking the dish. True story. Uh, my family and I, my girls and I, my wife and daughters, and uh, there's this clump of turkeys. I grew up with turkeys. My dad was a poultry guy. Wild turkeys on the dish. I have a turkey call. And so I'm like, <laughs> you know. All of a sudden, the Tom, that's the male turkey, in his hands, they turn to me, and he starts walking towards me. My wife has this on video. I'm sure if she put it up, it'd be a viral sensation. This Tom thought I was a threat and came after me, fluffed up his pillow, and just started getting ready to peck me. My daughter was going to pet him. I'm like, get away from him. And like, I was like kicking him. And like, his, the Tom would not leave us. He was, it was really chivalrous. He was protecting his brood. Now, was that Satan in a turkey? No, that was my stupid turkey call. Don't do that. Don't give him more. You know, some people, honestly, I believe demons just go, oh, we don't need to attack them. They're stupid. They'll just be on their own. Not every stub toe, not every turkey attack <laughs> on the peninsula. What is this? It's the enemy. It's not. On the other hand, though, I think most of us live in the other realm where we don't give him any attributes. And we fight flesh and blood when the issue isn't flesh and blood. It's demonic. It's spiritual. And we'll see how that works out on page two, okay? Ah, much better mood in the room now. What we fight, the devil's schemes. Look at verse uh, 10 here. Finally, and he's not saying finally, he's wrapping up the book of Ephesians. He's, he's brought it to a place where he's wrapping up this book. Uh, finally, be strong in the Lord, key phrase, in his mighty power. By the way, the Bible just assumes you're going to stand. The Bible isn't alarmed after the spiritual battle that you're standing. It assumes that. That's what Christ came to do in you and me. Give us standing faith. Look what it says. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The Greek word scheme there comes from a verb. It's actually the word we get method from. It's a verb that means to stalk a prey. You take your, st your stand against the prey. The devil is stalking you in a uniquely designed strategy to oppose you. And bring you down. He wants to bring you down. Uh, how does this work? He plays on the physical to go into a weakness of yours and then lie to you. That's the enemy's power, the lies. It's not head spinning, people puking, things levitating, flying across the room. 
Uh, it's the lie. What did Jesus say in John 8:44? When he lies, he speaks his native language. Uh, here's the way I look at Satan. Um, he's a defeated foe, and on the cross, Jesus kicked the teeth out of Satan and then chained him up so he's limited. For the believer, for the non-believer, Morpheus was right. It's controlling you. But for the follower of Christ, he's chained up, barking. His only power is to make you afraid through his bark. You live in the righteousness of Christ in the safe zone. He has no power over you except to lie and make you fearful. You walk over in disobedience and pet the dog. What do you expect? He's a chained, defeated foe. I remind him that all the time. You want another verse? Romans uh, 16, 20. This is worth writing down. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a good one, isn't it? I tell Satan that all the time. Going to hell, Satan. You're going to hell. I'll tell you the last time I told him that. Uh, so I uh, put up my daughter's bedroom. Here we go. Uh, there we go. Okay, so my wife, uh, leaving the house, says, hey, honey, I need three pictures hung. This is Bella's room. She's a horse girl, amazing horse girl. And she said, my wife says, um, I need them hung. I want them hung. Uh, in essence, what I thought I heard, it, she tells me it was different. She's right. But uh, she's always right. Um, from the, uh, I measured from the, the light switch to the wall, 85 inches. And she goes, I want them equidistant from each other. Now, look, men and women, I am not the math guy, okay? Uh, so I just measured 24-inch frames, 85 inches, three. That's simple math. My dad taught me measure twice, pound once. Measure twice, pound once. So I'm measuring. Anne's gone. I measure twice. We do it. And then I go to hang, and the measurement was wrong. Here's why. Uh, behind the 24-inch frames were hooks, and those hooks were two inches from one frame. Now, get this, two and a half inches from the other side. I know, it's crazy. How come I don't have any sympathy here? Like, that's crazy. So I might go in, what in the world? Anyway, I go to hang the frames, and then they're just completely wrong. Okay? That was me. That's on me. Okay? But it plays into a susceptibility I have around how I'm not good with my hands. I'm not good fixing up. And if I'm not good with my hands, here's what happened. I saw this. I was alone. I, I sat on Bell's bed, and I just thought, here's the first thought. I need to turn in my man card. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. This is simple math. Why can't I get that? Listen, that wasn't poor self-esteem. That was an enemy planting right in my susceptibility thoughts into my mind. And it was me giving subtle agreement to it. I sat back there and I thought, wait a second, wait a second. What is this? I'm not stupid. I am a man. I'm taking my man card back. Um, yeah, maybe I got the measurements wrong. This is an adventure. Who am I? I recited who I was in Christ, went back, remeasured, and still got it wrong. <laughs> and they hang like that to this day. But that's how the enemy attacks. He used my uh, lack of skills in hanging pictures. I honestly just wanted to call my friend Brad because he does this so well. Uh, but I thought, no, wait, I can do this. And then plays on my susceptibility and plants lies. 
That's why you have this actually in your uh, outline. Our uh, people development uh, department said, you know what? It'd be good for everyone to have this. There was a time I went through this every day out loud in my chair for about three months. Every day, just renewed my mind with who I was. Renewed my mind with who I was. So when the enemy brings a lie my way, I can hold up the truth and renew my mind with truth. This is a tool that uh, is really, really, really good. So there we go. Paul's bottom line, don't underestimate them. We're in a struggle. But don't overestimate them, he says. What are the devil's schemes? I just told you it's the lie. You know what the word devil means? It's used 37 times in the Bible. Uh, It's the word diabolos, Mount Diablo. I'm not saying that's a satanic mountain or anything. I'm just saying it's named after the devil, Mount Diablo. You know what it means? Slanderer. Liar. That's his name. It's all he's ever done in Scripture. He's a liar. uh, Systematically, methodically, his scheme is a lie. Like me hanging Bella's room, just waiting for a susceptible moment to pounce and speak a lie and insert a thought into my mind as a follower of Christ because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like he can't uh, possess me as a follower of Christ, but he can entice me through a lie. It's called temptation. Or after I sin, he can accuse me through a lie. That's called accusation. And like I was in Bell's room, just a, a first person in my internal dialogue, in my own dialect, I am not a man. I am stupid. Where do those thoughts come from? Times when Ann and I are engaging in conflict, thoughts will come into my mind. She does not know what she's talking about. She, this, that didn't come from me. The enemy implants that. It's insidious. His classic is, who I am determines what I'm worth. Uh, John White wrote a book. He's another Brit. He wrote a book called The Fight. He gives a very helpful illustration to understand what we're fighting. He says, here's how the devil works. Take a piano uh, and open it up and then sing a note into the piano. Now, you need to have a Tabitha voice for this, right? Sing a note into the piano. Whatever string your voice is attuned to will vibrate on the piano. This is called resonance. When one object vibrating at the same natural frequency of a second object forces the second object into a vibrational motion, that's called resonance. He says, in the same way the enemy knows your frequency where you're susceptible and resonates with it through lies unique to you. The lies coming your way probably wouldn't affect me. The lies coming my way wouldn't affect you. But what will he lie about? What's closest to the heart of God. The value of people. Unity. His church. Lies all the time about the church. The word. Actually, I relisted some lies. I'll just put them out to you. In my 30 years of walking with the Lord, here's some of the lies I've seen come my way in the way of others. He lies about God's character. God's holding out on you. Or here's the biggest one that I've found most followers of Christ in their ignorance buy into. You ready? God's punishing you. Can I just say, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, God will never punish you. Never. All the punishment that was coming your way for your whole life of disobedience was put right there on the cross And Jesus took it all. You're free. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation. 
for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. God disciplines us, but he never punishes us. He's not a mean dad. He lies about our value. You're worthless. You can't hang a picture. So your whole life is worthless. God will never love you. He lies about what God approves. Go ahead. God just wants you to be happy. He lies about what's true. It's all relative. The only thing that matters is that you're sincere. He'll lie about the truth of God's word and its authority in our lives. You don't need to listen to that. You don't need to obey that. Obedience is hard. It's okay. Everybody does it. Don't be so narrow-minded when it comes to the Word. Stop it. He lies about your potential. You'll never change. Or the years ahead of you are the worst years you're about to encounter. Your best life is behind you. You've peaked. He lies about the consequences of your behavior. This is a big one. No one will ever know. This won't affect you. It's just you and your scream. He lies about grace. Oh, that you did that. You did what? You'll never be forgiven. Give up. He lies about faith. Can God really be trusted? What a waste. You're wasting your time spending 1% in a chair, getting up early, memorizing scripture. What a waste. He lies about God's word. Did God really say that? You think he really meant that? He lies about eternity. This world is all there is. It's all you get. Pack yourself in. He lies about our money. What? How we love offering? Are you kidding me? They're asking for more money? I just want to put everyone on notice. As long as there is a world of need out there, and hell is real, and heaven is real, we'll always be asking for money. Because we try to get as much as we can and deploy it to the world forever. He lies about eternity. The world is all there is. And here's the last one. He lies about each other. He devalues each other and tries to cause divisiveness. He relentlessly seeks relational destruction. That's worth writing down. He relentlessly seeks relational destruction. What lies are you buying into today? i got to land this plane, and I'll land it this way. Red pill, blue pill. You can leave here and continue to live in ignorance and denial. And I'm not saying you're doing that. But the battle's not going to go away. And one day you'll come to see all that's going on here. Or, everyone look at me. As followers of Christ, we can get involved in the battle. And we can push back the kingdom of darkness in Jesus' name. And we can live lives that are significant and rescue people for the kingdom. I don't know anything greater to give my one and only life to than that greater is he that's in you than the one that's in the world the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet you know what i've told god i want a front row seat i want to be right there when hell's open you can read about it in revelation 19 and the first occupant of hell satan i tell him all the time because he can't read my mind so I, some prayers, I pray out loud because Satan is not omniscient. I just keep saying, you're going to hell. I said it in my daughter's room. You're going to hell, Satan. Almost got me on that one. Give me back my man card. You're going to hell. This is who I am in Christ. I pray you live victoriously. Page three and four, how to fight. Page three and four, how to fight. Now you know who we fight. Now you know what we fight, his lies. Page three and four, how to fight. Men and women, fight.
fight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, the freedom of it. Jesus, you also said right after you said Satan speaks lies, he speaks his native language, you said who the Son has set free is free indeed. I pray freedom from oppression. I pray freedom from ignorance. Freedom from the lies we take back, the subtle agreements we've made in Jesus' name. And we pray freedom reigns in this place. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.